0: Today, we're going to talk about the state of online photo sharing, and we're going to look at one amazing photograph. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. This show is no exception to that. I've got a guest lined up today that is absolutely going to blow your mind and we'll talk about a couple of different subjects along with Alistair's photo. First of all, I want to remind you, if you do like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, such as iTunes. Drop us a review if you'd like to, and please share it with your friends. The podcast is available in both audio only or video, wherever you get your podcasts. That is assuming that your podcast app of choice supports video. And of course, the video is also up on the YouTube channel. It's Behind the Shot on YouTube. And that brings us to today's guest. Now, my meeting today's guest was a little bit different kind of a way that I normally come about a guest. A lot of times I just find somebody on on Flickr or Smug Mug or 500px or wherever, right? Instagram, and I'll go, you know, they've got really nice shots. Let's reach out to them, cold call them, try and get them on the show. And sometimes they don't answer and sometimes they answer. Other times they go, you know, I'm busy right now, maybe later. This one was totally different, right? I got a message through Instagram that this person wanted to meet and talk to me. And since then, we've talked a number of times, and I just absolutely love this person's work. I'd like to welcome Alistair Jolly to the show. Alistair, how are you?
1: Hi, Steve. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having us
0: on. Oh, it is It is so nice to meet you. And And let's start with the accent. No, you're not from Texas.
1: I'm definitely not from Texas. I'm definitely not from San Francisco. I'm from Scotland. Okay. Yep. Where in Scotland are you? Uh, I'm in a little uh, small town just outside a small town called Falkirk, which is bang in the central belt of Scotland. So if your listeners or viewers are familiar with Glasgow or Edinburgh, the two big cities, I'm bang in the middle of, of both those cities.
0: And you took a picture the other day that you posted of the, uh, it was like a drone shot, aerial shot of the water and the coastline and Right down at the bottom was the tower and the building for Oban Distillery. So I may be there soon if they'll let somebody from America even come over there right now.
1: Um, uh, yeah, it's difficult at the moment to, to travel in either direction for you and I, but hopefully we'll get to catch up over here soon. So before we get into your photography, let's talk a little bit about you and th- when
0: you reached out to me. You work for Smug Mug and Flickr. Tell me a little bit about what you do. For those two organizations, because they're separate companies, but they're owned by—they're both owned by SmugMug. So, give give us a little idea on that.
1: Uh, yeah, so I'm global marketing manager for SmugMug and Flickr. Um, you know, I've been a f- photographer f- for nearly 20 years. In fact, over 20 years, uh, I was a full time pro photographer for 16 years, and then ended up getting a a job at SmugMug here in Europe. And, and then obviously over the last three years, we acquired Flickr as well. So I've been global marketing manager for both brands, both SmugMug and Flickr. And yeah, I look after our ambassador program. I look after some of our, you know, online content uh, programs. So yeah, pretty busy all over the world with both those. And, and you brands. have,
0: your ambassador program is nothing to, to skip over quickly. <laughs> You've got ambassadors for SmugMug and Flickr. And the one that always comes to mind for me is Renee Robin, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a friend and in my opinion, one of the most brilliant digital artists working today. And these people are repping your products. You mentioned the acquisition that SmugMug did of Flickr. How has that gone? It's been how many years now? Uh, it's nearly,
1: well, it's just over three like th- years, actually. Three years. Yeah.
0: Okay. How has that Time gone? Because, because as an IT person, that can't be easy to merge two very technical driven companies.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's been, Yeah, I can't believe it's been three years since we acquired Flickr. Um, we haven't merged the companies just to make that clear. We're definitely, definitely two separate brands and, um, although, they're all owned by SmugMug, and we're one company, but with two two brands. Uh, the merging was was a, a behemoth task, as you can probably imagine. Oh you yeah, know, it's one of the the biggest, uh, if not the biggest, collection of images on the internet. And it took us, uh, you know, you pract- Yeah, it took us a year to move all those images. We had to obviously move those images out of its previous owners at, at Verizon and Yahoo, and move them into our data center at AWS. And and that project was uh, incredible at all levels, both in scale and uh, stress and success.
0: (laughs) And I think you've succeeded very, very well. I mean, we use, as you know, and it's part of the reason that you originally reached out to me was you saw that the behind the shot critique shows that I do with Don Komarechka, who's again, I'm surrounded by brilliant photographers and someday I'll get there type thing we do critique shows and we do it through a Flickr group behind the shot on Flickr. People basically, you know, join Flickr. They submit their shots to the behind the shot group on Flickr. And that's just participating in the community aspect of it. Cause I don't want to grab somebody's shot that just wanted to share it and critique it and have them cry. So they also have to use a Flickr tag of BTS critique. And then Don and I pull from that pool in the group with that tag for our critique shows. And it's, Worked really, really well for, but there is some overlap, a little bit, between SmugMug. A lot of people use that for photo sharing, and then there's the Flickr side of things. If you were to describe to people the two services that that didn't know about them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: h- how do you describe SmugMug? How do you describe Flickr?
1: Well, they each have their, their, their unique points, you know, smug mug, as I say, I've been there for eight years now and was always a product that we showcase, you know, it was a place to showcase your images so you can have your website and share your images. So showcase, share and sell those images. Can't see that too fast if you've had too much whiskey, but um, yeah, showcase. Share, I'm willing to try. Those, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you can have a, a website uh, that you you know you promote your work to your audience, whether it's you know family, friends, or for most of our clients, you know, commercial, you know, showcasing their work to their clients. It's where you can share that work with your clients. Everybody gets unlimited storage at Smug Mug, and uh, and sell those works. So it has an e-commerce. Section to it, that you can sell those work, sell that work. The one of the the elements we were missing with the show uh, with uh, the Smug Mug platform is you have a relationship with your work that you you share it with your clients or you share it with your family, but it's still quite insular in that it's you, your SmugMug site, and your client base. There's no community element at SmugMug. and um, you know when the opportunity arose to to acquire Flickr, we knew that was the solution we wanted to, to be part of a community or have a product that was all about community. We've been huge fans of flickers for many, many years. And, you know, we were as disappointed as, uh, everybody else at the, you know, the, the, the lack of service it was getting from its owners, I'm putting that very diplomatically there, but, um, the, uh, that was, it was we were, good. It did. good. It was a good. Yeah. been practicing that. The, um, you know, so we wanted a community too. we wanted, we were all, you know, so passionate about photography at Smug Mug. Many, many of us are photographers or have been professional photographers or just love and, you know, as a hobby. And many of us like myself were customers before we became employees. So right. really passionate about photography and just wanted to, to own that product so that we can, you know, be the custodians of, of this amazing community. And, and that's, what the Flickr element is about It's really about this. Um, it's it's a community of communities, if you like. There's something on Flickr for everybody, no matter yeah. what genre or you know what you do with your photography. And if there's not, then go start it yourself, type thing, you know, because we and empower people to do that.
0: You've got the group feature, and here's the thing about Flickr to me, and I'll share with you the the kind of internal discussion Don and I had when we were trying to figure out where could we, you know. What's the easiest way to collect pictures that people want critiqued? And when Flickr got mentioned, the the first thing was, you know, still there's no better site for displaying pictures at their highest quality. I mean, there's competitors out there like 500px, but 500px tends to be more really fine art things. It's not sharing with family, right? For the average person out there sharing pictures that are currently doing it on a Facebook or an Instagram – Flickr really takes those pictures and doesn't do what those other services do. It doesn't crunch them to death. The pictures look fantastic and you get that community aspect to it, which which is something that personally, you know, I love. Before we go into online photo sharing a little deeper here, you said something I didn't realize and that as you said, before you started doing this, you actually were a professional photographer.
1: Yep. for and For 16 years. Yeah. What did you shoot? Uh, uh, Photography, very different to what I shoot now, but I was uh, a wedding photographer and social photographer. So uh, anything with people in it, uh, but predominantly made uh, uh, my living photographing weddings. Yeah. I had a very successful wedding career here in Scotland.
0: And none of that's in your portfolio.
1: So your portfolio has black and white and color
0: landscapes, street black and white a miscellaneous category and and <laughs> you remind me of Rick Salmon in a way in that. Wow, I see geez, that I see that breakdown. That. <laughs> but I mean it though. I see that breakdown on a lot of people's sites, right? One of my biggest complaints with most people's portfolio is let's be honest, you don't photograph 10 different genres all really well, right? Pick a genre, show your clients (laughs) what you're going to photograph and go with it. Stop saying that you're a baby photographer, wedding photographer, landscape photographer, animal photographer, and commercial photographer and realist. Because it just, the odds are you're not good at all of them. All of your portfolios, when I went through them, and and I'll tell the audience here, when Alistair reached out to me, it was because he has a show that he does for Smug Mug called Smug Mug Live. And I'm going to be on Smug Mug Live a couple of days after we record this episode. It will be in the past when this episode goes live later this month. But please go look it it up.
1: It's YouTube.com
0: (laughs) slash Smug Mug Films is the account. And so that you know, on the Canon thing stream that I just did on the day that we're recording this, I mentioned that at the beginning of it and end of it, too, because you've got some great guests up there. So you do what I'm doing here. But. That's what we originally talked about. And like I always do, I went and looked at your portfolio and went, I emailed him back and went, hold on, <laughs> can we just make this a normal episode and talk about one of your shots because you're really good at what you do. Oh, well, thank you. For people like you and me that want to share our pictures and are frustrated when we have a picture on a calibrated screen that looks really good. We upload it to Instagram and have to fight over the crop or we upload it to Facebook and it just ends up looking horrible. What is, and then you have sites like 500px or, or Flickr that show images high quality. In your opinion, doing what you do, what do you see as the state of online photo sharing? Where, where is the industry going?
1: Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm still sort of digesting all those wonderful co- compliments. So <laughs> thank you for all that. I mean, I do I do love photography. I'll, I'll answer a previous question before I get to the, the state of, of okay. sharing. Because you asked, where's all my wedding work um, on my website? Because you don't see that. But what's interesting is a wedding photographer for 16 years, all I showed on my website was wedding you know, I don't when you when you're selling to a bride and groom, you want to look like a complete expert in your field. You don't right. want to be a jack of all trades. You want to say, you know, I'm a wedding specialist. So, you know, for decades all you saw was wedding work. Um, after 16 years, um I was pretty much done with weddings. Sixteen years is a long time as a wedding photographer. Uh so now I love my photography more than ever. And I special you know, I, I kind of just specialize in concentrating on uh, you know whatever's exciting me at the time, so that's why there's quite a mix on my site. Um, but sharing, you know, sharing images comes in so so many different formats, and that's one thing we're really proud that you can do on on SmugMug, and we're bringing some of it to to Flickr. Is the ability to still share prints and you know physical physical work right? right? I, I I don't think there's anybody would argue that a picture is best when you can hold it in your hands or hang it on your wall, like behind yourself They're um, on the
0: wall behind me now. Yeah. For that yeah. reason.
1: Yeah. It's the, it's one thing that I would encourage anybody. I have met so many people who their portfolio is only online. It's on one of their social platforms or it's on just on Flickr or whatever. So, you know, I, I really encourage people to, to print their work and allow people to hang their work or buy their work. So with the SmugMug side of things, you have all that ability to share it. As you said, the foundation of what we do with our, our um, architecture of our software is make sure that image looks amazing on, online, both on SmugMug and Flickr. It's the foundation of where we start. It has to look amazing. Um, but you can you can print it, and we brought some of that to, to Flickr after the acquisition ability to print your own work via our lab partners. So well, that's and, pretty cool.
0: And what's interesting is, it, 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 in some ways, this is going to be a weird analogy. I don't know why this just <laughs> landed in my head. In some ways, it reminds me of one of my favorite plugins and software, which is Nick. Mm, uh, I love Silver Effects Pro. I love Color Effects Pro. And DxO bought Nick from Google, who had let it just flounder. Yep. And when they bought it, the first thing they did was just make it compatible with the current versions of Photoshop. And people went, well, you know, they didn't add any new features. Yeah, but they made it work again. And then over time, as it got integrated into their systems, you started seeing improvements. Well, now that you have acquired Flickr, you in fact just released some improvements to Flickr just a week or two ago. I can't remember the date. So, end users of Flickr are starting to see those improvements. Now that you've owned it, modernized it, brought it into your systems and 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 kind of tweaked it to where you need, now you're starting to, to work on it, which I love, which kind of brings me to this. I have always heard from many people, actually, that the people at, in those days, it was just Smug Mug were actual photographers, that most of the people at SmugMug and now SmugMug Flickr are really into photography. And you're the first person I've talked to from that company. And when I saw your photography, I went, I get it now, right? Here's a guy who's an executive for this company that actually is one of us. And I love that. What drives your photography?
1: Uh, Gosh, everything, uh, to be honest. I'm inspired by on a daily basis from all different angles. You know, looking after our ambassador program, I get to hang out with the best photographers in the world as a, as a job, <laughs> you know, um, don't tell people it's that much fun cause they'll all want my job, but you know, being traveling around the world, being at conventions, being at trade shows, doing marketing projects with our ambassadors, you know, I, I just, that's what inspires me at the moment. Just seeing the, the level that these photographers are are at, and just wanting to try and move a little bit closer to where they're at. And that's why I have such a mix in my portfolio because I'm, you know, constantly with different photographers doing different genres. And and I just love to, to kind of feed off that and experiment. And um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest inspiration is, is my community.
0: <laughs> and and you also get to do it through this Smug mug live show that you do yep. because you've had amazing, I mean, it's kind of like Beautiful. the reason I do this. The reason I started this show was I figured I see that image and I have questions about that image. It, you know, if I had a show, I could ask the questions that I want to ask. It's really yeah. totally self-serving. Yeah. Your show kind of gives you the same thing, and that is the daily inspiration, which brings us to the shot today. When I was looking through your portfolio, there was a number of shots of yours that I wanted. There was a couple of street shots, actually. I think I even sent you. And I kept looking at him going, well, I just did a street photography episode with Pia Parolin from uh, mm. France. And it was the color of street photography was the name of the episode. And it was a color street photography yep. shot. And I thought, well, I don't want to do the same genre too close, but it's really good. And we landed on this particular image. I'm going to let you say the name of it. Where was this shot?
1: Uh, so... Where it was shot is is easy. It's, it's shot in Glencoe, which is a very famous part of Scotland. Uh, but the 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 place it shot is called Loch Achtreatan. Okay. Was that okay? <laughs> One more time. One Loch, more time. Yeah, Loch is the Scottish word for lake, so it's Loch Lake, right? Yeah, Achtreatan.
0: Achtrea Ach,
1: ach. So yeah, it's got a very Scottish sound to it. Yeah, ach threaten. Yeah, so it's not it an is easy a one, gorgeous. even for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet it's that's, the, that's that's a good point. How many people in Scotland can't pronounce that? Yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous scene, but it's not just that. It's a gorgeous scene. It's beautiful. I believe when I first saw it, because of some of the choices you made. You know, sometimes people capture a great shot and they make other choices. I think this is particularly a beautiful landscape because of some of the choices that you made. So for those that are listening on audio, let me describe it to you. And of course you can always go to the website, BehindTheShot.tv. You can see the image there. Uh, And again, if you subscribe to the podcast video version, you can see it there, you can also see it on YouTube. So this is a, a lake landscape. It's got these, it's almost dark and moody, but it's warm. So it's got these deep, rich, moving colors in it. Uh, picture a Scottish landscape and you, you'll nail it here. But the angle of attack for the, for the camera on this is taken just above the grass. And that gives you this, this almost airplane skimming the earth type feel as you go through the grass in the very front of the frame is very warmly lit. I mean like golden, right? As you get back to the lake, it gets darker as it goes over the lock. There's some reeds or grass coming up through the lock. That's the lock in the middle. I'm assuming I'm correct, right? Correct, Yep. Okay. Then, here's what surprised me. On the far end of the lake, it's land again and that is lit up again bright and then you get into the mountains and the mountains in the background have some cool greens and blue so you have that you have that you know mix of warm in the front and super cool detailed mountains in the back and I'm hoping that the mountains come through in the live stream I mean mm-hmm in the regular picture, they're there. So if you don't see them in the live stream, stream, go look at the website. And the reason I say that is, they're, the mountains are very dark. But there's, when you see the actual picture, there is an immense amount of detail there that may not come through a video. So what do you shoot and what did you shoot this with?
1: Uh, this was shot with uh, Fujifilm. Uh, I shoot Fujifilm cameras now, short Nikon most of my career uh but when I retired I'll call it my retirement for shooting from shooting professionally I was looking to move into mirrorless and very quickly adopted the the Fujifilm X uh range of cameras uh just because at the time they had some amazing cameras and lenses um so this was actually shot with an XE2 which uh you know is an older camera now shot a few years ago but uh Absolutely fell in love with that camera. It was the first digital camera I had that I felt nostalgic about. You know, it was shutter speed, aperture, ISO. Right. That was it, right? You know, it felt like a, being back in the film days. So, um, yeah, I loved that little camera. I still have it. What was the, the lens on this? Uh, this uh, was uh, an 18 to 55. Uh, it's a crop frame. So it's probably what? 18. 80 yeah. Th- th- 83 to 55. I
0: think is what the XF said you shot this at, so. Uh, uh,
1: interesting. Yeah, 55 on a crop, so it would be about the 80, 80 range. 83, okay. Yeah. What's well, interesting so, is that the image, you mentioned the grass, the grass at the foreground of the image, um, that's actually in the loch. Um, it's actually reeds. Oh. The, yeah, it's actually reeds, so they're actually in the water as well. I'm standing right on the edge of the loch in this shot. Um, so they are actually grown up. You can actually see a few more of the reeds growing up in the kind of real midframe um, of, of the shot, but yeah, those are reeds in the, in the water. So see, and in my preview,
0: the, the mountain is really, really dark. So I'm concerned that the video won't get it. So I'm, I'm imploring you people go to behind the and load the picture, which is in the gallery down below. I wrote a little thing about Alistair there, and there's a gallery of some of his other shots at the website because, seriously, man, the the choices that you made to get low to get those reeds in the front, have the lake fade to darkness with a few in the middle, but then that land in the back is bright, and then the mountain super cool. Yep, just amazing choices. You shot this according to EXIF data at one fiftieth of a second. Interesting to me, you could have gotten blur. I'm thinking in that grass, and you didn't, at least not that I see. Uh, ISO two hundred. You shot this at f twenty two. Yeah. You do. You do that. A lot. It makes sense with what you're trying now, to capture here because those mountains are sharp and the yeah, grass is sharp. T-
1: yeah. Typically, now I'd love to like focus stack a shot like this, but can I just maybe explain the some of the challenges of, the, of this shot and why do it? it yeah. It, it was rushed. this. The reason I'm really pleased you you picked this shot for us to to discuss is. It's one. It's a shot that I had pre-visualized, and you know when you pre-visualize a shot and then manage to execute it the way you wanted, it's just the best feeling in the world. And this was, oh yeah, this is this is exactly what happened with this shot. I'd been prior to this shot, I had been looking, of all things, (laughs) the complete opposite from where I was in Scotland. But I'd been looking at lots of shots of Namibia, and I'm not sure if you're familiar of the shots in Namibia where you have this. Like a lone tree, and then this huge sand dune that goes up behind the tree. And if you yep. get the light just right, the the sand dune is really dark, and the tree is lit, and it stands out. And I'd also been looking at shots of um, uh, Bryce Canyon, uh, a bit closer to you. Uh, again, yep, in Bryce in Canyon, yeah, Bryce Canyon can get these shots when the light's really low, and it lights up the trees in the canyon. But the canyon wall is almost black, and then you just get those colours really standing out. But and that was what I thought. I want to capture something like that. Where do I know that has a, a kind of extreme cliff? Um, and that's when I started thinking about Glencoe. Glencoe is a hugely popular part of Scotland. It's where you know most of the photography in the Highlands happen. A really popular tourist spot and photography spot, but it's a very, very um, tight glen. It's very very steep slopes uh, with a road running down the side of it and and several lock-ins, very rugged mountains. Um, There's three very famous mountains called the Three Sisters of Glencoe, which is where everybody stops to get these pictures. But because the glen is so steep and so narrow, uh, it can be really challenging with light. Because the the glen itself casts so much shadow, and if you go when it's got light in it, it tends to be midday, and the light's not the best for for landscape photography. So this image was actually taken quite late in the year. It was taken in October, which is my favourite time of year. If you're ever in Scotland, come in October; it's just beautiful oh. for colour. Yeah, um, I gotta the whisky's good
0: because all- we were supposed to be there in in May, actually.
1: Yeah, the whiskey's good all year round, but in October. <laughs> Uh, that's when you get the good colors and the trees and stuff um and at that time of at that time of year in October, you know the sun's setting around what three pm or something you know the sun is really low in the sky right. most of the day come October November december um so I planned it I knew that I wanted a, wanted the steep mountain with some trees behind it and in the far distance of this shot the the trees, they're uh, a mixture of uh, um, silver birch and I um, um, can't remember the other tree, but there's a, there's a little line of trees there in the back. I thought, I wonder if I could get some late autumn light on those trees and have this black wall of of the mountain behind them. And that's what I was going for on this shot. And Loch acht is is very popular this shot—I'm going to really disappoint you here, Steve—but this shot was literally shot from a car park. <laughs> there's the I'm road sorry, What?
0: Oh, I had questions car- in here. Did you get out and set a tripod up and stuff? Oh yeah,
1: no? oh yeah, yeah. It's all done on tripod. But there's behind me, like a hundred yards, is a car park where you know the tourists get out and look at the mountains and, and look at oh, um, the scenery really? around there. So it's super. It's 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 like you know catching fish in a barrel in Glencoe. The, the it really is a beautiful spot. Ha, that said, I've never seen another image of Loch Treshnish like this one uh, in the time that I've been looking at these images. Everybody always shoots straight up the glen, so they would be off to to my right on a little bridge that goes across the the river that feeds into this loch, um, and they they stand on the bridge and they shoot up the glen and they get the steep sides of the glen. But it's for me it's never that successful because one side's always super dark and one side's typically overblown. Um or they, they photographed the bridge. Uh but I I kinda waded around the, the side of the loch to get to the spot to try and get these trees um kind of silhouetted uh in front of the 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 black the the black mountain there. Um so I was really pleased when it when it all came together and the light is super low that's what's giving it that incredible warmth you know the sun oh it's it's oh, yeah gorgeous. the sun is so low in the sky it's literally about to disappear and the long story to tell you that's why i'm shooting at f22 i i was wading through water and desperate to get this shot and i thought i need the foreground i need the midground i need the mountain I need that row of trees um right. i'd and I could see the light literally chasing down the mountainside. You know, the sun, uh, the sun sets so quickly at that time of year that, you know, a blink of the eye and you've missed, you missed the opportunity. I reckon maybe 15 seconds after the shot, those trees were black. They were all in complete really? shadow. Yeah. It okay. So, so quickly.
0: Well, I, I describe this show as trying to understand the choices that photographers made. I mm-hmm. understand the F-22. I don't understand. You're on a tripod, so I guess it doesn't matter that much. But why 150th? You could have gone safer. ISO 200 is nothing. You could have gone 400 and gone up to a hundredth of a second. What? Why the 50th?
1: Uh, I'll be honest. I was probably in aperture priority, so probably wasn't that focused okay. on um, on the shutter speed. Other than paying attention that you know it was fast enough, um, it was completely still. This was a beautiful, beautiful evening. There was not a breath of wind. Nothing, nothing was was moving in, in the foreground. So I wasn't that worried about um the, the shutter speed. My main focus when taking the shot, bear in mind I had seconds to take it, was depth of field. That was really all I was interested in. Depth of field and get the exposure to give me that warmth and to give me the the, the black mountain. Well, you mentioned something that's critical. If people look at it, is the the detail in the mountain still had to be there? You can still see the. And it is. Yeah, you can still see the rock formations on the mountain behind it, and that was that was really what I was aiming for was some detail. You there.
0: can differentiate, and again, I'm. I hope it comes through the video, but if it doesn't, go look, because that's the brilliance of this shot is the. The, the adept way that you threaded that needle to get that mountain, but yet it's black, but you can see green, you can see blues in the rock. And so you have this, this weird kind of light color mismatch with the warmth and the cool, and yet the warmth and the cool are in totally different places and play together. It's, there's very few shots, very few landscapes that make me feel like I want to be there. I mean really want to be there. I mean we all say oh I wish I was there, right? But yep. there's very few shots that make me feel like I mean for that matter make me feel like I am there. And this one does that. When when you when you are framing this, right? You said other people usually shoot up and you came around to get this angle with the mountain <clears throat> with the gla- with the grass where it is. There's a lot of dynamic range in a shot like this. Mm-hmm. as we discussed. What are you thinking? I mean, did you consider doing multiple exposures and blending them? It's a single shot, I'm guessing. Yep. What are you thinking in your mind on the technical end of this is my shot. I see my shot. I've pre-visualized my shot by looking at you know Bryce Canyon and Namibia. But I don't know that the sensor can capture this. What can I do to? Mi- Are you thinking about that?
1: Um, like like all great landscapes, sometimes there's a bit of a rush involved when you're chasing the light. I would have loved to have been here earlier than I, I ultimately got there. Plus, I wasn't exactly sure how the light was going to fall. So when it started falling the way I wanted it, I, I you know I was I was under the stopwatch then. You know the, the light literally is moving that fast. Ideally, yes, I would have sat there and, and probably did a bit of focus stacking to get stuff sharp. It's, it's incredibly sharp anyway. I'm, I'm really delighted with the image. But you know most of us yeah,
0: it's, probably don't. It's tack sharp, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it is well, this, this image is tack sharp.
1: Thanks. I mean, most of us are told not to shoot at F22 wide open or completely closed. But, um, you know, sometimes you have to get the shot, right? And- you know, getting the shots better than nothing. And, you know, kudos to to Fujifilm for making great equipment where the lenses are this sharp at F22. But, you know, maybe I, I, you know, doing it again, maybe I would focus stack. you know, maybe somewhere around F8 and take several exposures and stack them together to get uh, maybe even a bit more sharpness. But I just didn't have time to do that. The way the light was changing just so much. And that, that for me was the main focus, was make sure I get the light as it just comes off the mountain but before I lose the trees, that was that was really what I was focused on: checking the corners, making sure there was nothing, you know, no stray sheep or anything in the in the corners that would be a highlight. Um, tr- I Had a tripod; the tripods in in the water with me, and in, in uh, you know, in amongst the reeds at, the, at right at the shore. So again, just focusing on trying to make sure that was as solid as, as I could get it. Um, I'm a great believer that the sharpest lens you will ever own is a tripod. So, you know, I like to use a tripod well, when yeah. I, whenever I can. So um yeah, that, that was it. I mean, the biggest the biggest win for me was the pre-visualization of trying to achieve this somewhere, uh, that wasn't Namibia or far flung, um, that represented this place the way I wanted to represent it, that was different from what People typically take in this location. Um, you know, I know a lot of photographers. I'd show them this, and they would struggle to know exactly where it is. And yet, there's a place they've probably been hundreds of times because uh, it is such a popular spot. So, yeah, it all came together very, very quickly. That was that was the main I, rush. You
0: know, I'm stealing that line. The sharpest lens is a tripod. I'm. i t- I'll, I'll credit
1: you when I use it. No, t- don't. It. St- I think I stole it. So <laughs> that's, that's okay. okay. All
0: right, <laughs> uh, author unknown. So yeah. your post routine, you get this back to your computer. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm guessing you've got some highlight and some shadow issues that you've got to correct in post. What what apps do you use? You're a Lightroom user, Capture One. What do you use? Uh,
1: at this point, I mean, this was a few years ago. So at this point, I would have been exclusively Lightroom. Um, and but for this shot, I didn't use Lightroom. Um, funnily enough, when the when the Fuji film. X series, the X trans sensor first came out. That um, X trans sensor is very different from the the array of most most pixels on uh, sensors are very different from the X trans. The 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 um, random, not quite randomised, but they randomise the RGB pixels on the sensor. And back okay. then, um, the it's one of the, it's one of the things that helps make the X trans sensor so sharp. They don't need the um, is it the anti-aliasing? Um, Anti-alias filter. Filter. Uh, filter. They don't yeah. have one of them because the 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 pixels are, are randomized on the sensor, so you don't get moiré on on fabrics and that type of stuff. So that does help with the, the sharpness. The downside was, and and you know, a few years ago, things like Lightroom and stuff did not do a very good job of um, converting the raw file. They really struggled with the algorithm. And you got a lot of artifacts and um, what they called worming. When you zoomed into, you know, hundred yep. percent, you could see this kind of smudging of the pixels. Uh, so I actually processed this in uh, Capture One. Capture One uh, is, is a, was a much better, I think it still is, algorithm when it comes to the X-Trans sensor. So this was this was edited in Capture One. Um, and it, you know, I'd, what would yeah, you have a, done? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of uh, playing with the shadows um, and um, just making sure that contrast is there between the you know the the light and the dark and making sure there's uh, detail in the shadows. So yeah, most of this would have been you know just working with the, the contrast and the shadows, uh, making sure the temperatures uh, you know of the image is the way um, I remember it. Um, whether it was hundred percent like this you know we, I, this is how I visualized it. Um, I'm not a great believer in um, trying to create colors that weren't near or make it look um, like it wasn't but this is this is as near as I would see to reality as, as, as I remember. I see a lot of pictures of Scotland that I don't recognize because the colors just, don't match the reality. It's like, we, you know, we don't get colors of sky like that in Scotland. A lot of people get a little bit excited with their sliders, but, but uh yeah. this, this was, this is pretty near to what it was at that moment in time. Um, but yeah, not, not that much work. I'm glad to see.
0: Yeah. When you, when you go out to a, to a spot like this, a location like this, are there any mobile apps that you rely on? You know, whether it be um, weather, sun position, moon position, anything like that, like photo pills or anything like that?
1: I, I'm a, a Big user of Photopills. Uh, I do like Photopills. Uh, great product they have there. Um, again, um, Photopills wasn't around when I took this image because this is it's about five years ago. Uh, so um, I, I did a bit of online checking of of like sunset times and angles, uh, that type of thing. Plus, I've been here you know, quite a few times in, in the autumn. So I knew kind of how the, the light fell right down the, the glen. Um, I love, uh, at the moment, though, I, I love Snapseed. I absolutely love Snapseed as an app on oh. my phone just for editing on the fly on, on my mobile device. Um, you mentioned uh, Nick Effect Software. I have used Nick, my, you know, since they invented it, you know, back when it was originally Nick Software. I Same. just and as you said you know DXL come along and put some life into it so I actually just paid for the the latest version of it just to support that team as well um, but yeah um, yeah those are those are the main ones capture one I still I still use lightroom as well but mostly capture one for um, for my editing now uh, and photo pills when I'm out uh, on location uh, just trying to check for you know blue hour and all those kind of things. Um, and yeah, big fan of Snapseed and Nick effects for some of the editing. Yeah.
0: I, you know, which originally were the same company, DXO's latest version, they actually added some new filters and some new stuff as they're starting to develop it. And Snapseed in me is, it's still my favorite mobile editing app way more than like a Lightroom mobile or something like that for people Okay. This may be a different tip. It may be the same tip. If you're talking to somebody that lives where you do and sees this a lot and they're going out versus even somebody that's going on vacation and capturing somebody like this, but in general, what's your one tip for capturing a landscape like this?
1: Um, Be there early. (laughs) Um, you know some of the some of the best places in the world, some of the most popular spots in the world can get pretty busy. Maybe not at the moment, but um, you know when things are normal. Um, but you know, I I do look at this shot, and I'm a little disappointed in myself that I wasn't prepared early enough to do more with it. Um, I only have a few frames um, of this. I would have loved to have.
0: Yeah, but you got had, this one. I you don't,
1: don't need it. Yeah, I mean. This I don't need any, as you say. This was this was the one, and I've never looked at the other one since I've I've worked on this. I mean, so um, yeah, preparation is is you know key to to this. Do the homework so that when you are there, right. do the homework and know your tools, and then when you are in a situation like this, I caught it without you know really thinking about it that that much, to be honest, just because you know you kind of go into autopilot and focus on the. The experience, enjoy the moment. Uh, something I think a lot of us forget to do is actually enjoy the moment while we're while we're taking it. Um, those are, those would be my my main. So tips.
0: okay, so let's let's leave this shot for a second. Working at Smug Mug slash Flickr, the inspiration you get from the people you work with, the sites that you work with, the businesses you work with, and and the stuff you do on Smug Mug Live. What's your number one general? not landscape, general photography tip. And for that matter, what's your best street photography tip? Because people, his street photography is as good as this, right? So what's your number one street or general or both photography tip?
1: Um, I would say my number one tip is uh, get low or get high. Don't don't shoot at six foot. <laughs> um just change the angle, you know, whether like, especially in street photography, um, you want to shoot from the hip a little bit more. Um, We're, oh man, we're very fortunate to have uh, our dear friend, Alan Schaller, be one of our ambassadors at at Flickr, phenomenal street photographer, probably one of my favorite street photographers in the world and hanging out with him, watching him shoot without even looking through the camera. You know, he's literally holding it at his waist, focusing without even, you know, knowing, and that's when you, he just is a master of his tool. He knows how that lens works. He doesn't even have to look at it to know what f- distance he's he's at. And I try to emulate it's such an some odd of that. skill set.
0: I mean, that's a skill,
1: right in and it's, of it's, itself. It's a different part of the brain skill. That one, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> for most of us. But um, but the the thing about that is seeing seeing the world from a different angle instantly makes people look at the shot different, you know, and, and I think the best street photography in the world is shot, um, from a lower angle. Um, you know, the rules are all to be broken, but yeah, just, and again, you know, um, even in landscape work like this shot we've been talking about today, I could have stayed up on the car park and shot from above looking down and you just wouldn't have had many
0: people probably did.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Most people, do it every day from that kind of spot you know the same tripod holes that every person uses up on the on the the top of the bank but you just wouldn't have had that compression the trees wouldn't have been against the the darkness of the mountains so yeah just i think that's my number one takeaway from all the photography i see on a daily basis is you know change the angle you know if you're a, if you're a, a family photographer and you photograph kids or pets you have to get down at their level. You know, the, the image doesn't look right. great from six foot in the air, you know. So I think that can be applied to to almost every genre of photography is, you know, changing the angle can really change the, 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 the dynamics of the image, how people interpret, how people read your photo. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in people read photography as much as just look at it. Uh, and you can... Okay. You can make people read your photograph the way you want them to read it. You can take their eye into certain places, but if it's from an angle they're not used to seeing, then they're more likely to, you know, take some time to uh, look at that image and read it a bit longer.
0: Okay. Last question. You know, so many, who's a photographer that people may not know about that they should know about?
1: Wow. That is uh, an interesting, interesting question. As you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, very fortunate to work with the best photographers in all genres. You know, you, as you say, you look at our ambassador program, it's got the best landscape photographers, the best street photographers, um, the best retouchers, the best conceptual artists. Yeah, man, it's, it's, that is a tricky question, man. That's really, really, really tough one. Um, Man, it Spore, um, I actually I don't know how to answer that one. You did. You really stumped me on that one. There's just so many. I'm trying to think of something that someone that I could highlight. So um, how's
0: this? We could just say, go look up Smug Mug Ambassadors and check out some of them, because odds are some of them you may not be familiar with and you should be.
1: Yeah. I Actually, I'm going to call out one. Uh, she's actually my next guest on, on Smug Mug Live. Uh, is a wonderful photographer called Emily Teague. Uh, She's based out in New York City, a fashion photographer, Um, just doing incredible work for someone uh, so young. Um, And she has this incredible juxtaposition of being a fashion photographer who also does incredible humanitarian work. Um, So she's as... You know, her day job is photographing models and producing fashion editorial sets, but her passion is going to places like India and telling the story of, you know, sex slaves or, you know, real difficult humanitarian stories. And, and I find that just incredible that someone um, is, is able to, to tell such incredibly different stories. Um, so Emily Teague, I would say.
0: And the time that this show airs, that show will already be out, youtube.com slash smugmugfilms. And go check that one out there and, of course, look up her information as well. Alistair, I can't say – first of all, you reached out to me for something totally unrelated and then agreed to do this. Thank you so very, very much for that.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks for putting me on the spot. As I said, it was me that was meant to put you on the spot and have you on my show. But um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, humbled by all your wonderful comments. And uh, I'm glad that you've enjoyed looking at my photography. That's why we do it. I, you know, it's, uh, I can't think of a better accolade than someone saying, hey, I looked at your work and I really love it. Let's talk about this photograph. It's the best thing in the world.
0: And it's really seriously... I've been putting up your information and your 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 links and stuff, but just so that people know, if you want to connect with Alistair, uh, on all socials, just go Alistair Jolly, J-O-L-L-Y, that'll get you there. And then your website is actually a Smug Mug site. It's AMJ for, I'm guessing, Alistair M. Jolly, amj.smugmug.com. Those have been coming up throughout the video show, but for those of you on audio, there it is for you. You can also just search for Alistair Jolly Smug Mug. And you'll find his information as well. Global Marketing Manager and Head of Ambassador Relations for both SmugMug and Flickr. Again, thank you. And the day we're recording this, I'll see you for SmugMug Live. People go look that one up too. Thanks, Alistair, very, very much.
1: Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it.
0: So again, Alistair Jolly of of SmugMug and Flickr. When, When I first heard his title, I thought, okay, so he works for a company involved in photography. But who would have known... The, the portfolio he's got, go check his site out again. I'm going to say it again, actually, amj.smugmug.com or Alistair Jolly on pretty much all social medias. Go follow him. Make sure that you check out the uh, image review shows, image critique shows I'm doing with Don Komarechka. We actually do host those, The the image selection part. In a Flickr group, you can go to the behind the shot group on Flickr, sign up for a Flickr account. It can be a free or a paid, but do the paid. It's a great service. They display your images well. And then join the group, submit your photos to the group that you are interested in just sharing. If you want them critiqued, also add the Flickr tag, not a hashtag, Flickr has their own tagging system. BTS critique, that's the images that we pull from. We do those once a month right now. Next one will be in August. And again, to Alistair Jolly, thank you so much for joining me on the show. This is Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all the stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm Steve Brazzle, and we will see you on the next show. We'll <music>